It is good to be here this morning. My name is Scott Johnson, in case you're new here and have not met me before. And I am so thankful to be here this morning uh, to be able to preach the Word of God before you. Uh, we are going to be looking at Psalm 44 this morning. Um, and let's, let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for your Word. We thank you, God, for Psalm 44. We thank you for the ability to be here and worship you this morning, this beautiful day. Hot as it may be, we still are grateful that we are here today in the sunshine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to start out this morning and, and talk to you about someone that you may or may not have heard of. His name is Richard Wormbrand. Has anyone ever heard of Richard Wormbrand before? Good, good, yes. If you haven't heard of him, you may have heard of his book, Torture for Christ, or you might be familiar with the ministry that he and his wife started, The Voice of the Martyrs. I want to start out this morning and tell you a little bit about his life as a pastor and as a Christian and the things that the Lord asked of him in his life. Some of the details are really too gruesome to be able to, to tell you this morning. So I encourage you to read this book, of which I have an extra copy with me. If you haven't read it and you'd like to, I'm willing to give it to you to read. But all the details of the things that he went through are in there. There's also a movie that was created based on the book that you can find on YouTube. It's a little over an hour long. It's worth your time if you have never uh, read or heard anything about Richard Wormbrand. But he was, he, the what? 44. Richard Wormbrand, he was a Lutheran pastor during the time of when the communists from Russia invaded into Romania in the late 1940s. And the communist leaders invited all the church leaders and pastors from the area to a meeting that was going to be broadcast nationwide to declare publicly their allegiance to the communist party over everything else, including the church and Christ himself. And during that meeting, Pastor Wormbrand, who was sitting next to his wife, Sabina, was getting more and more agitated with his brethren as he saw one after another selling out their faith to the communist regime. Sabina, sitting next to him, told him, Richard, Stand up and wash away the shame from the face of Christ. They are spitting in his face. He said to her, If I do so, you lose your husband, knowing that full well that he would eventually be arrested. She replied, I don't wish to have a coward as a husband. What a wife. Man, I have one like her. I'm thankful. Pastor Wurmbrand then stood up and he was granted time to speak before the communists who thought that he was going to come down and he was going to pledge his allegiance to their party, that he would be on their side. But that's not what he did. In fact, he came down and he denounced the communist party and pledged his allegiance to Christ and Christ alone. Now, since this was being broadcast all across Romania, the communists quickly cut his microphone off. And later on, this led to his arrest. 
and he spent a lot of years in a communist prison where he and many others like him were beaten, excuse me, were beaten and tortured for their faith. He went through a lot. God asked a lot out of Pastor Wormbrand. His feet were beaten so badly that even later in his life, he was not able to wear shoes. He was beaten with hot pokers, steel rods, anything that you could imagine. He and his friends were made to stand in a small box that was the size of a person with nails driven in it about an inch away from their body. So whenever they moved, they would hit a sharp nail. And they were made to stand in this box, sometimes for hours and even days. But he would not, he would not give up his faith for Christ. He did not give in. They were torturing him because he prayed. They also tortured him because they wanted him to give up the names of the members of the underground church that he had started. And all the time that he was in prison, over 20 years, he never wavered in his faith. Pastor Wormbrand went to be with the Lord back in 2001, where I'm sure he received a huge crown that if he were here to tell us, he would say that he didn't deserve it. So why am I telling you this story? Because the psalm that we are looking at, Psalm 44, deals with some really heavy issues. Mainly where God is when things are excruciatingly difficult. When it seems like the pain and the heartache is so heavy and unbearable that we cannot take another step. It is a heavy psalm. And to be honest, this is a pretty heavy message, as you can see. But as we will see as we get to the end of the passage, there is hope. Even when life and things are excruciating and unbearable for us, there is God. This psalm, Psalm 44, is a, a psalm of national lament for the nation of Israel. The last couple of weeks we looked at 42 and 43, and they were an individual lament. In other words, they're bringing something from an individual who's having an issue in their life and bringing it before God and asking for Him to intervene. This psalm was written by the sons of Korah as a lament or a complaint after a horrendous defeat that the nation of Israel had suffered in battle. The historical background that led to the writing of the psalm is kind of vague like we've talked about before. Sometimes in the writings of the psalms it's hard to nail down exactly when it was written. Most likely it was written after King David's reign had come to an end. But there really isn't any particular king or battle that ties to the writing of the psalm. I want to read the psalm in its entirety, and then we will take it chunk by chunk as we go. As we read through this, we're going to see that it's going to draw a question out for us to see. And that question is, does this psalm show that God, in fact, forgets his people at the worst times and lets them suffer in vain like he doesn't care. Where are you, God? And as we'll see, there's three distinct sections in this psalm. Verses 1 through 8, we'll see God's faithfulness. And then we'll see in verses 9 through 22, 
when they complain about God leaving them and forgetting Him. And then finally in verses 23 through 26, they're pleading for God to fight for them. So let's read Psalm 44 together. It's a little long, it's 26 verses, but we'll get through it together. Starting in verse 1, Psalm 44. O oh God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days. In the days of old, you with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did, nor did their own arm save them. But your right hand and your arm in the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Salah. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All the day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. You have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. And so as you can see, this is a fun psalm. We're going to have a great time going through it together. It's, it's a little heavy. And so this message itself is a little heavy, but I think it's one that, you know, that I think we can all relate to because there are times in our life when we feel like we might have been abandoned, and this will tell us how we handle that situation. So when we look at this first section, verses 1 through 8, we see that they exclaim God's faithfulness to their forefathers in the past as had been passed down to them. 
In verse 1, it starts out with, We have heard with our ears what our fathers have told us, what deeds you performed in their days in the days of old, or like Matt tells me all the time, the good old days. Sometimes the good old days are not so good, but sometimes the good old days are not bad. But God had driven out their enemies by his own mighty right hand. Victories that swords or spears or arrows or any other weapon of war that the nation of Israel could muster could not deliver them from their enemy. Only mighty God could do this. One example of that would be, obviously, the Battle of Jericho. Not one weapon was drawn to bring down the city walls. All they did was march around the city six times. And on the seventh time around, they stopped and they blew their trumpets and the Lord brought the walls down. And these are the stories that they knew. And twice they repeat this in verses 3 and 7. And then with this in verse 4, they proclaim that God is their king. That only God could provide salvation for them. Only God could deliver them from their enemy and victory. No human king could do that. Only God. And then in verse 7, they confess that God is the one who brings shame to their foes. It is through the great name of Elohim that pushes down their enemy. And finally, in verse 8, we see that they state that it is in God they give their thanks and in whom they boast. They brag about how great their God is and they have proof to back up their claim. This is because they recognize that everything that they have came from the Lord. Everything they had in the past, everything they have now, everything that they're going to have in the future is given to them by God's mighty right hand and with the strength of His arm. The question for us is, have we seen the Lord's victory in our lives? And as we work our way through Psalm 44, we'll see that we have an advantage over the writer of Psalm 44. Because we know that God has given us the ultimate victory in Christ. That Jesus, God himself, hung on a cross and shed his blood, providing the way for our enemy to be defeated. And allow us to have the glorious victory of salvation through Jesus and Jesus alone. There is no other name under heaven upon which you can be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. How often do we share these victories that we have in the Lord with others? Either with our family or friends or strangers that we come in contact with. Do we care enough about other people? Do we brag enough about the Lord? Do we think enough of Him to share these great things with others? like Israel's forefathers did that gave them strength. A God who can defeat any enemy in front of them. Don't we think that people need to hear that message? And if we can't answer yes, then can we truly claim verses 4 and 8 that they apply to us? In other words, is God really your king? Do you recognize his faithfulness to you and recite those things to others? Doesn't our sharing of the great things of God, no matter the circumstances, allow us to boast in Him? And when we go through the remainder of the psalm, remembering what 
God has done for us in the past is going to help us when we are going through difficult times now and we don't feel as close to him, like he has forgotten us. Pastor Wormbrand endured years of torture and punishments because he was sharing Christ with others, no matter the circumstances. He knew that he would be arrested. He knew that he would be beaten. That never stopped him because Christ and having him known was the most important thing. His wife didn't want to have a coward as a husband. God doesn't want us to be cowards either. So now we move into the next section, and we have the word salah, which means to pause and reflect. And this is an important pause as we move from the first movement of the psalm into the next one starting in verse 9 where we see that they're thinking acknowledging God for his faithfulness to win the battles to a point of asking him, where are you now? As we are beaten down by our enemies in such a humiliating fashion, where are you, God? Did you, O oh God, forget your people? When we read the psalm and we go from verse 8 with Salah to pause and reflect on all the things that God has done for them, in order to move them forward. Verse 9 begins with an enormous but. A but that connects the dramatic change from verses 1 through 8 to the rest of the psalm. And as we study the Bible together, we find that it's important to look for these connecting words or in English class what we learned were conjunctions like but, and, yet, for, therefore, so that. These small connecting words or phrases that tell us that there's something important next that we really need to pay attention to. So in the second section, we see that they go from remembering God's faithfulness to now they're blaming God for his forgetfulness. Let's uh, look at verses 9 through 22, and, and we'll break them down into two sections, because even in this section, there's two distinct sections. There's 9 through 16, and then there's 17 through 22. In 9 through 16, um, we see that they're accusing God of selling them up the river. And if we look at that, we start out with, but, there's that big but, you have rejected us and disgraced us and have gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from our foe. You have made us like sheep for slaughter. You have made your people a trifle. I'm just going through this quickly. You see these things. You have made us a byword, a laughingstock. All day long they're disgraced. Shame is covering their face. And the sound of the taunter and the reviler in the sight of their enemy. They have gone from the victor to the victim. Or so they think. How can that be? How can God do that? Sheep led to a slaughter. Shame, taunting. I'm sure they could have gone on and on. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt shamed, rejected, or disgraced by God? I wonder how Pastor Wormbrand would have answered that question. There is no doubt life can be hard. 
And for whatever reason, for some people it seems that life is harder than others. And there's really no clear answer as to why some people suffer more than others in their life. For some of us, it seems like there's always a dark cloud that follows us around wherever it is that we go. And for the Jewish nation at this time, they were humiliated in a battle when they felt for sure that the Lord was with them and would give them the victory. They were God's chosen people after all. Have you ever stepped out in faith thinking that the Lord was with you in a decision and yet you failed and crashed and burned badly? Where was God when you needed him most? That is what this psalm is about. The nation of Israel has been asked a lot by God throughout its history as God's chosen people. We could ask the question, where was God when the Holocaust happened? Where was God when cities in Israel are being terrorized by suicide bombers or rockets being sent in by um, Hezbollah? For us as a church, we might even, as part of God's chosen people, we might ask, where is God at times? This, is a, this statistic I saw is just it's mind-boggling. According to a statistic given by the Center for the Study of Global Christianity in 2017, that at the, the time of the study in 2017, that over 900,000 Christians throughout the world, our brothers and sisters, were killed in those 10 years from 2007 to 2017. To put that in perspective, that's one every six minutes. Where is God in that? Why are you hanging us out to dry, you might ask? Why are we being defeated and humiliated by our enemies? We might even ask, where is God during 9-11? And even now, with all the chaos that's going on in our world today, we might ask, where are you, God? There are times when God asks a lot out of his people. It is painful, and sometimes it doesn't seem to make much sense. But I ask you this question. Does it make sense that God himself, Jesus Christ, endured the humiliation of being spat upon and being mocked and having a crown of thorns jammed on his head and then violently hung on a cross to shed his blood so that these very people who are complaining to him in this psalm, and I include us in that, could live, could receive reconciliation while he died as an innocent man, led in shame like a sheep to slaughter. For us, the guilty, that is a hard word, isn't it? As we transition from that into verses 17 through 21, we get to what I see as an outrageous claim of innocence. Let's look at those really quick, 17 through 21. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. 
if you had forgot if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God would God not discover this for we he knows the secrets of the heart yet for your sake we are killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered let me say this about verses 17 through 21 you and I are never innocent just as they were never innocent as sinners we're always guilty on our own we cannot pursue after God it is impossible for us to come to God on our own this is what we call the doctrine of the depravity of sin we are so depraved in other words sin is so ingrained into us that we inherit this as people from Adam from the garden and uh, the garden of Eden in the fall that we cannot come to the Lord on our own the Lord has to drag us to himself I looked into the history of this psalm to try and find any place in the history of Israel from Samuel first and second Samuel first and second Kings first and second Chronicles after they had split the kingdom into two the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah I tried to find a time where they could have been as innocent as they claimed to be there were no kings in the northern kingdom of Israel that were considered good in other words only worshiping God in him alone not idols in Judah there are only a few really two kings that are considered good one is Hezekiah and the other is Josiah and Josiah is the best he's the one who took down all the high places all the false worshiping places the temples and such destroyed the idols removed the false priests and everything else that was reviled by God and after he had done all that he was killed by an evil king why would God kill the only king who worshiped him fully and demanded that others would follow in him it makes no sense but you can read about this account of Josiah in 2nd Kings 22 and 23 if you want to read it for yourself and I encourage you to do that but God was angry about their continued idol worship that runs rampant in Israel's history but as we read this for ourselves let us not forget that we too are idol worshipers we are not innocent in that in our own lives we worship the God of sex we worship the God of money of alcohol of drugs for escaping reality and many 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 other things so let us not stand smug in our innocence because we are the same they were never as innocent as they said they were in verses 17 through 22 and we as Christians we also have been bought with a price and we have been chosen like by God like the nation of Israel we belong to Christ and because we belong to Christ he can use us in any way he wishes to fulfill his plan to reach the world for him in his glory he never promised us promised us that life on earth was going to be a party reveling in riches and good health our lives like that of Richard Wormbrand and the nation of Israel can be used by God for God because of God his glory but we need to know that 
Even when things are really horrible, God is still faithful. Even when we're being slaughtered in battle, we need to hear that there is a purpose in our suffering. A greater purpose that we cannot see maybe at the time that it's happening. And I'll be honest, sometimes we may never know what it is while we're here on earth. But we must remember that as God was faithful in the past, He will continue to be faithful now and into the future. Couldn't God the Father turn around and say to us, where were you when Jesus, my son, was hanging on the cross? Where were you when they were mocking him and calling him a blasphemer? Where were you when you told him you loved him and then you stuck that joint in your mouth or you stuck that needle in your arm or you cursed out your friend or you cheated on your spouse or spent the afternoon looking at porn instead of hanging out with your wife? Doesn't God have that right? Even more so than we have the right to question Him? Our Creator who gave us life? If that doesn't humble us and cause us to repent of our sins, then I don't know what will. Yes, we are saved by grace and not by works. But as James says, that a faith without works, it's a corpse. It's dead. It's useless. It is in the colossal defeats in our lives that allow us to see the colossal victory that we have in Jesus. We must remember that in defeat and in victory, God is good. And as we move to the final section, the final four verses, we don't really seem to see any real closure to this. There's no resolution to the problem that is presented in Psalm 44. We see the psalmist call out to God to wake him up and engage in the fight, to fight for his people like he is sleeping. In verses 23 through 26, we can read those quickly. It says, Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. I, I pictured this like a dad sleeping on a couch and their kids are trying to wake them up as trouble is approaching. Dad, wake up, there's a burglar coming, there's danger outside, save us. But some of us dads never wake up and danger comes in anyway. And then the kids say, don't you love us? Don't you want to fight for us? Don't you care? And the nation of Israel, they are crying out that they are clinging to the ground, cleaving to it for stability. They are too weak and wore out to stand up. God, you take over the fight. We are done. Where are you? Why can't we find you? There seemingly isn't an answer. But there really is one. And it is found in verses 1 through 8. Remembering what the Lord has done for us before is really all we need to remember that God will not forsake us. He will never leave us. And when we weep, when we are in pain, 
He is there with us. He helps us endure all things. The victories He gave us in the past, individually or collectively, it still holds true today, no matter what it is that we're going through. If you're a believer, the mystery of God is that Christ lives in you always, forever. Since we are chosen, we cannot be unchosen. That is the good news. You cannot be snatched out of Christ's hand. On Wednesday, when I was studying for the sermon, I was trying to figure out how do I bring this message to God in a way that glorified Him into Christ. And I had to leave the house. I wasn't getting it in my little office. And God led me to Picket Wire Canyon of all places. And I got there and I was all alone, me and the Lord. And I walked down a bit into the canyon and I started to read Psalm 44 out loud. And then I read Psalm, uh, Romans 8, 31 through 39 because it's in Romans 8, 36 that Paul quotes Psalm 44, 22. And I yelled as loud as I could these verses so that they would echo off the canyon walls. And if there was anyone else there in the canyon with me, they would have heard them reverberate off the walls like I did. And I have to tell you, there's something really moving about hearing the Word of God bounce back to you off the walls of a canyon. I want to read to you Romans 8, 31-39. I won't yell them to you because I don't want you to you know, run for cover. But, but you can use your imagination as I read them to you. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Some of my favorite verses in Scripture, honestly. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, and here's Psalm 44, 22. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And here's the great verses. This is the answer, my friends, to Psalm 44. The things that we can hold on to that will get us through the difficult times in our life. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our God is faithful. 
the resolution to Psalm 44 is really in the first eight verses of Psalm 44. The beginning is the key to the victory in the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that was a heavy word, but a glorious word, because we know, O oh Lord, that you, in the end, have the victory. And God, no matter what it is that we go through, whether we're called like Pastor Wormbrand to be tortured for our faith, to be martyred, Lord, or whether we're just to go through a time of suffering, we do it because it is part of your greater glory, Lord, that we don't see. We trust you, Lord, that you love us and you protect us and you are there with us. That you yourself experience these very things when you went to the cross. You were humiliated before your enemies, Lord, but that didn't stop you from doing your purpose. And we're thankful for that, Lord. And we praise your holy name. Amen. If there is someone here this morning and one of you may be dealing with something really difficult in your life and you need some prayer, or you have questions about your salvation, come and see me or Matt because we'd love to be able to talk to you about that. We'd love to pray with you about anything that is going on in your life that you need prayer for. That's what church is. That's what the body of Christ is for, is to help each other. And we're here for you. We're always here for you. And as we move into our time of communion this morning, this psalm, it kind of reminds us of what God has done for us. It reminds us that even when the times are difficult, that Christ lives in us. That on that night when he was betrayed himself, and he told us that the bread that we're about to take is his body that was going to be broken for us. And then when he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. That this was the ultimate sacrifice in the answer to any suffering that we go through in Psalm 44. Our Jesus knows what suffering is. He knows what his people go through. He experienced it himself. And so when you come to the table this morning, examine yourself. Think of what is going on in your life that you need Jesus' help with. And ask him for help. If you are not a believer this morning, then we ask you to not come because Honestly, this won't mean anything to you until you do make Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord. And like I said, if you have any questions about that, come and see me, and I'll help you with that. But if you are a believer, examine yourself. Take a moment. Think about where you're at with the Lord. And then when you're ready, come to the table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, again. We thank you... God, for the ability to take the Lord's Supper. We thank you, Lord, that you shed your blood for us, that your body was broken on a tree so that we could be with thee. In Jesus' name, amen.